Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Uh, welcome to uh, Washed Up Emo Podcast. I believe this will be episode three, if not our counting's off. Um, I'm Tom Mullen. I run washedupemo.com, and I've worked in the music industry and labels, and this is my outlet so I don't um, hurt people during the day. So as with me, uh, with me, as always, is Ray Harkins. Ray, are you there? You're, Ray is driving today. Uh-uh. <laughs> Actually, I drive every day, but I am currently <laughs> driving because I was so excited to participate in this uh, particular interview. So, Awesome. Well, thank you for being here, Ray, and uh, please enjoy the uh, whatever highway you're on, whatever number. Uh, oh. Oh, oh, I will. It's the 405, and oh, it's such a pleasure. <laughs> nice. And uh, our special guest uh, today is uh, Paul um, Fisher, and Paul... Uh, worked at some labels you might know if you uh, follow the website, follow the site uh, Crank Records, and uh, also ran uh, better, better Looking Records. So, uh, Paul, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Awesome. I'm very excited. Sounds cool. Um, well, I just, you know, like I said, let's sort of dive in really, really early for you. Um, what were some of the bands that you kind of dug and growing up and how kind of you got to KXLU and sort of I mean, the college radio was sort of my gateway as well to a lot of things, and how did that kind of come about? Yeah, I heard you guys talking about, like, what you were, like, how it kind of got, like, where you got started on it. Um, but, yeah, I think KXLU really was it for me, too. I was doing college radio. KXLU is, like, Los Angeles um, college radio. And I was doing it in one of my, and just, you know, into just kind of anything. Like, I, I was into indie rock and punk rock and stuff like that. And a friend of mine gave me, like, just turned me on to a split, the Promise Ring Texas, the Reason split, and was like, yeah, you should probably check this out. I think you're going to like it. And uh, the Texas, the Reason side just blew me away. I was like, wait a sec, what is this? Like, because there's something about it that was like, it was, it's like melodic, but then it's still kind of a little bit like punk, and it was just somewhere in between that you're just like, you know, you can I mean, it, there was, uh, you know, obvious scene, like, happening around it, but it was just, you're kind of at a point where, or the music was just kind of like something that I was totally drawn to, like, at the time. So that's that's kind of what started it for me, was that split 7-inch. Like, and not that the Promise Ring side wasn't good, it was definitely good, but the Texas Reason side, I was just like, wow, that's, that's my thing. That's sure. awesome. What was the, did you have a show? Was it that kind of genre or did you have to play format what was the what was short yeah. of your show like yeah i forget like um i did you have a hardcore show because basically like at kxlu we had a day show so it was programming throughout the day so you just kind of had a time slot and you just played pretty much whatever you wanted um, oh nice yeah, yeah. Uh, we we had a specialty so- show friday saturdays sundays and during the week up until friday night was all format which all right. But you could play things certain times of the hour. But the weekend, you know, yeah, I had a hardcore show and then like a emo show, or actually a metal show too, which was pretty fun to do. Oh, um, but yeah, I think that the, that sort of free form thing, you weren't sort of 
you know, to one genre or one thing, and it must have been, you know, where what what other stuff were you playing oh, yeah. from from I mean, that seven inch? Did it kind of catapult to every? Yeah, other exactly. Thing? Like so, yeah. So we, you know, we um, at the time I was trying to think. You know, you start usually the two a.m. to six a.m. slot, and then you kind of just kind of graduate from there to the day slots. And it was basically what was cool about Cakes you was like literally two a.m. to six p.m. was you know the the kids DJing and they would have like three or four hour slots and just playing whatever they wanted. Plus, I mean, you're supposed to play a lot of new releases too. Like, um, so you had to play a certain amount of new releases during the, your show. But um, so you're exposed to just tons of stuff, you know, just everything. Like it was a lot of, you know, I mean, it was everything like merge records, you know, just all the stuff. So my time there was like 93, um, 92, stuff like that and then I graduated in 93 and then I kept DJing probably like on and off like 97 98 something like that so I wanted to say like a lot of that stuff kind of started coming out like early 90s right like I want to say like 94 93 or something like that yeah I feel like 95 96 it really started to kind of but you were definitely earlier than I think me and Ray um yeah in that era yeah, totally. Yeah, I think so. Like, um, and there, it was just, and what was funny is we kind of saw it as like a Midwest theme, like, um, just because of like the crank stuff, like vitreous humor, boys life, and, like stuff like that, get up mm-hmm. kids. I think, I don't know if get up kids were there in the early part, but um, like some of that stuff in, uh, and at the time, I mean, at the time there was like riot girl stuff going on. I remember I was dating a girl that was into that, like all the Olympia and kill rock stars and mm-hmm. all stuff like I was definitely all into that, and there's a club called Jabberjaw that you just went to like nonstop because everyone would play there. Um, but I remember my first, well, one of the first like emo shows. Now looking back on it, like uh, was Mineral, Christy Front Drive, I forget what it was at Jabberjaw, but those two for sure. Wow. And, and I remember even back then, like emo had a stigma, like even in the beginning. Because I remember my girlfriend going, "Oh, I don't want to go to an emo show." Like. I'm like, really? Like, back then, it was even a stigma attached to, like, the name, you know, the word. Like, God, it was ruined even before it started. <laughs> I know, exactly. And that, those were the good bands, you know? Like, yeah. Those, you know, the classic ones. Um, but I was so excited to see Christy Front Drive, like, and Mineral, too. Um, I mean, both of them, I was just like, I gotta go. And I remember I met um, the guy who ran Crank Records there, like, Jeff from Jeff Mallow, who ran Crank, Crank Records. He was doing you know, merch at the show. And I met him there. Um, and it was sometime after that, like, I, I started, uh, there's my phone. Um, <laughs> like, uh, it's sometime after that, like, I I just got kind of, um, I was trying to find an internship. And, like, in I wanted to get into music business. Like, I was definitely, like, I wanted to get, that was something I wanted to do. Um, and so I started looking into internships and crank was that crank. I don't even know how I did it. I think I just contacted them because, you know, buying stuff through their mail order. And, uh, and so I contacted them about an internship and Jeff saw, yeah, definitely come on in. So it was just two of them. It was Jeff and Freddie, um, this French, French guy who's amazing. And he ran like the mail order and was just classic, like Freddie's classic. Um, it was just those two guys doing crank at the time. And I, Power of Failing had come out. Um, they had done like the Christy Front Drive Boys Life um, split. Um, so things were, you know, kind of happening for the label. 
So I went on, went in and uh, started interning like as much as I could, and I would call stores uh, like uh, you know check stock on our stuff. I would do radio. I'd call up college radio and like try to bug the music directors, you know, and see like how our stuff is doing and stuff like that. And I just got really into it, like which is just, how we met. Yeah, exactly. Right. Totally. Because I was actually it was I was trying to think when we had met and obviously it was college radio but i i was trying to think if i just stalked you or stalked the label because i think you heard in the last podcast i told a story about how like i found this box of records and there was all this mineral yeah. stuff in there and totally. and it was probably your handiwork sending all that stuff in and i must have <laughs> it must have been from that but that i mean you you had to have felt something with that, I mean, you could feel the movement and those bands sort of getting bigger, right? Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's definitely, like, like a scene to it. Like, it was just definitely, like, a scene. Um, you know, because, I mean, you had zines and stuff like that kind of around it. Mm -hmm. um, and those, you just kind of found out about other bands through those bands and through the, you know, as they come through and reading the different magazines that kind of focused on them and stuff like that. And, and college radio, I mean, you know, all the time, like we would, you know, find out more stuff through college radio. But yeah, that, that must have been like, that. I was trying to think too. So I was trying to think like if I knew I, when you're, you know, working at other labels or like what it was, but it was the college radio. Like, it, it, it had to have been because I think from that record, I must have, I, I was actually on crankthis.com this evening and oh. I was at the links page and I got this sort of flashback to um, f looking at these links and I was kind of laughing and maybe you could think about this too. And, 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 and this is how I found out about so many bands. Oh yeah. Oh, totally. Is that you I were like, I looked at, okay, you guys had cursive. Wait a minute. Arches a loaf. Like, I don't know about them or, you know, Elliot Smith, it's just like you could just, all the labels, like I was just like, this was my Wikipedia for emo. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny that that links that I'm on right now looking at it, like, yeah, that it's still there. And that was, that was like definitely part of our handiwork to kind of, you know, put that stuff up there as like links to other stuff that we thought was cool. And that, you know, just to kind of, Right, do that. Just kind of spread the word and tell people, like, if you like what we're doing, you're going to like all this stuff here. Yeah. There's some classic stuff on there that is long gone, but it's still linked on there. Well, okay. I actually looked up my makeout club. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. This is actually what I spent 10, 15 minutes before. I literally was like, I'm going to see if I'm still on there. And I was on there. And yeah. it's just, that was, it really brought me back to an interesting spot. And I think what kind of crank meant to me and um and how you this label sort of really was one of the one, one of the biggest um and you know just the i mean the bands just yeah. boys life cursive uh fireside who are amazing um uh one line drawing the regrets sunday's best vitreous humor yeah. mineral last days of april that's that's it yeah totally <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And like, and at some point he offered me a job there, um, you know, after like a year of intern or like half a year in interning and I just dropped everything. I was just like, wait a sec, this is amazing. Like I can actually work 
add an indie label. Like, you know, before that, I was just like a fan of stuff. And I didn't realize that you could actually, I mean, not a career, not, not a nice career, but you could actually like have a career, you know, or your day job can be working at one of your favorite indie labels. And it just blew me away. Like, so I was just really into doing that. Like, so, so then for the, I guess, I don't know how many years, like, I want to say two or three years I was there. And it was just kind of like, you know, it was an indie label, like we're definitely struggling, but we had like, you know, had an office and, you know, putting out the next mineral record and the Gloria record and all that stuff. And then uh, our mail order just kept blowing up. And that's how you found out about even more stuff is like all the stuff that they're carrying in the mail order. Yeah. Um, uh, do you remember a quick side thing? Do you remember when I called you in co when I was in college and asking you to tell me the quick the right pronunciation of the Gloria record. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. So. I, I don't. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I literally remember where I was because a friend was like, "Is it record or record?" And I was like, "I'll call." That's awesome. And find out. And I think you either you probably hung up on me or somebody did. And they're like, "You're crazy!" <laughs> like, go away. It was um, probably. I wouldn't hang up. <laughs> yeah, but it was. Uh, I just remember laughing about that. The, um, and so I mean that's great. From you know an internship, you know to getting the. I mean that's that that's that music industry sort of way you do it. Yeah, you kinda. show and, and them it's that all like I mean it's struggling. Like it's all about like just not getting paid and struggling and you know. But it was it was fun. Like we would have other interns, like some kids in the like in the area would come in and um you know help out all the time they're so just into it you know just into it, helping out even the just mundane stuff like when we do a college radio mailing sitting there we would sit there for hours just you know packing packages and listening to music and sending it out or doing mail orders we'd have stacks of mail orders that we'd have to do and um you know and just trying to you know push it like it was a business like it was definitely a business and you felt really like you know that you wanted to help out these bands because it, it was really about the music and it was about those bands and making sure that, you know, they're, they're getting out there as much as you can, like for sure. Yeah. And I think the, I, one of the things I was mentioning, you know, to Ray earlier and just talking about this is the marketing and working of those records. Now it's so instant. You could have, you know, uh, now it's like had a band camp account, Facebook page, um, you know, root music page on on your Facebook, uh, a number of different ways, and then and it just kind of brings you back to what what were some of the kind of avenues and communications? And yes, there was you know college radio and and but it was what still is now word of mouth. And I yeah. just when you guys were sitting there with three people just sitting there trying to figure out was it was it people coming to you? I mean, was it touring? Was it friends of a band i mean i always thought it was hey i saw this band on tour you should sign them we yeah oh totally it was definitely touring i mean touring was it i remember it so we at some point we had a, a distribution deal with epitaph so we we're going through epitaph and i remember going into epitaph for like meetings and just being in awe of their setup they would have like the they would have these these kids that you know that work there and they each had like a cubicle and and each cubicle they had an area that they would cover so they would cover like I don't know, four or five states. And their their job was to hit up press, radio, retail, like everything, like in their area. 
like nonstop with the bands they're pushing. It was just an amazing setup. Like these kids are just constantly on the phone and, you know, just having fun with it too, because I mean, you're talking to zines and radio stations and retail Mm -hmm. and it's not, I mean, it's not always fun. I remember calling up retail and, you know, them just kind of going, uh, never mind, you know, just hanging up type thing or, or trying to get in touch with music supervisors and stuff or um, music directors at radio stations and stuff. But, um, but I just thought they had an amazing setup. So yeah, like, in order to get the word out, I think it was a lot, of, in the beginning, it was a lot about zines and stuff, and, I mean, the computer, you know, the internet definitely was starting to happen, um, but, I mean, I don't know, like, I'm trying to think of, like, some of the stuff, you know, you'd have websites that are more like, you know, webzines, um, and then you had message boards, I think a lot of people, that's that was kind of like the social outlet, was yeah, message boards. I, I totally agree, Ray, I know we talked about that, I mean, the, I know the Victory Records one. Rev Revelation right. one. It just that's how you sometimes find out about shows. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some of the ones I was on because I wasn't on the Victory one or I'm trying to think of Revelation. I remember being on AOL Punk Chat. They had like a punk room. Oh wow. And uh, that was kind of like it started off as like kind of message boardy before, and then it became more like real time. And it was like it was called Punk Chat, and you just go in it and like you know. There was like different, you know, kids that are into punk rock, like in there, wow. and just, you know, just different people just saying whatever. But um, but yeah, I know. Like in the beginning, like it was. I mean, looking back, I'm just like, you know, how did how did we make that happen? Because you're right, it's it's a lot easier now. But I think you have to rise above like a lot of the the noise, you know, a lot more too now. But it's so easy now to have a MySpace page, Facebook, like all that stuff, and just really have the music right there in front of people so that if they get any inkling to check you out, they can check you out. Like they can listen to the music and make a determination right then. I had a, you know, I have bands that um, send me records even to this, to the website that washed up emo and I'm honored and flattered and, and I get in, I mean, in two seconds, I have a band send me a link I listen to all their records. I know what they look like, where oh, they're touring in five minutes. And yeah. and it wasn't like me getting, you know, a letter in the mail and saying, oh, you should check out our band. All right, well, we're coming through wherever the hell you live on this date and you'd have to wait and or someone else had a song. It, you're totally I mean, it's it still needs to be that music part to it. And it does need to rise above. And I think it's still it's still true. I think back then it just seemed to. Um, happen a little slower yeah i think so and i mean look you know we would get a ton of demos at crank and we would just have a big box full of tapes you know and every once in a while like in the afternoon we'd be like all right start listening to demos and we just put them on you know and take them off within two seconds or leave it on for a while and i remember um at some point i think um jeff was trying to sign jay june at the time and i think they passed on him and uh, we were all kind of like, oh, darn, you know, that sucks because they're an amazing band. Mm-hmm. And um, we put on a tape, and it was like Acrobat Down. Some It was a band from Sweden, I think, some from Sweden, and just amazing, like so killer. So we ended up doing a 7-inch, you know, and that doesn't happen a lot. You don't listen to a demo tape and sign a band off of a demo tape, like especially international bands. But this was just really, really good stuff. That's awesome. Um, but, yeah, mostly it was about touring, like, you needed to see a band that was active and is going to get out there because that's the only way you're going to sell records is the kid, you know, 
kids coming out to shows and actively seeing the band. And that's how you that's how you get college radio to play them. And that's how you get zines to write about them, you know, and play it retail to bring in records like mm-hmm. at the time when there was retail. Like, you know, that was like you had to have the bands coming into town because then you could call up stuff in that area and say, you know, look, the band is here to support the record. So, you know, you have an excuse to talk about it. Basically. Yeah. I wanted to bring up sort of we were talking about the communication and the way that the kind of records were promoted and now one of those things that I think helped crank and the one of the reasons I mean I remember going to a store in Northern Virginia on a break in college and spending money on promise ring horse latitudes nothing feels good and the don't forget to breathe comp um, which I think was one of the best compilations and is still mentioned, still talked about. And just to, for everyone that's listening, to for me to read off some of the bands that were on this very, very early on. Hot Water Music, Christy Front Drive, Mineral, Promise Ring, Fireside, Roadside Monument, Knapsack, Drive Like Jehu, Seven Story Mountain, Boy's Life, Silver Scooter, at, at Ethel Meserve. That's a great list. Yeah, oh. fuck, right, fuck right off. Give me a break. Let's put, toge- <laughs> let's put together a who's who. <laughs> Let's put together a who's who of everybody. Honestly, like, I w- I, I'm thinking of, you know, a lot of the compilations that we were talking about, like, you know, the in-flight compilation that Revelation put together, that antimatter compilation that accompanied the zine. Like, I don't think anybody puts together comps these days that are as good as that because two reasons. One, it's such a pain in the ass to get a bunch of bands who contribute somewhat exclusive songs to it because, of course, they have, like, five million people pulling them in different directions. Yeah. And, uh, two, it's just so hard. Like, it's just such a labor-intensive project that it's just, like, people are like, well, you know, no one's going to buy it. And if we put it up on iTunes, it's like, we can't charge full price for it. And it's like, ugh. It's so sad because that's, like, you know, that was obviously such a, a gateway for so many people, like, such as myself, to yeah, get into but... certain bands that I may have never listened to. Like, you know, kind of like what you were referencing at the beginning, where it's like a lot of people were into certain, you know, geographications, where it's like, you know, I'd never really listened to Boy's Life if it was for obviously like this comp and the split with Chrissy Front Drive. So it's like, you got to have those gateways. Yeah, it's so true. And, I don't know, and I think part of it, though, is also the fairness to the bands and making sure that those bands get paid, like, you know, if a comp takes off or, or whatever. And that's, it's kind of, it's hard, I think, for indie labels to really, like, you know, kind of, you know, account to bands and, like, really capture those royalties. You know, for one, if you have a record that's, you know, one band, at least you know, like, where to go. But if you have a record that's, like, 13 bands on the one thing, that's the pain you ask to pay all the bands all the to pay you know the band's royalties on it but in the end you definitely have to like i mean and so i don't know if that's held back you know some of it um i know that we don't know like uh better looking records won't put up our comps on itunes um just because like the comps when we put them out they were for like a limited thing like we did a holiday matinee comp and it was kind of more like limited and they give it to us you know for a certain amount um and we don't want to like we don't want to keep selling it, you know, and really like take advantage of, because I think for the holiday matinee, they're giving it to us for free. And we just kind of considered it, you're giving it to us for free for a certain amount of time. And we're not going to 
keep on selling it and just collect all the money, you know, for the rest of our lives type of thing. So we don't really put that stuff up like on iTunes um, just because it's a pain. But I'm a big proponent of paying royalty demand in the indie world because I think a lot of them kind of get screwed in the end. Like, because, and it's, you know, and also it's hard to run an indie label though, too. I mean, I've seen definitely that side of it, like for sure. Um, but yeah, comps are awesome. Yeah, what was the what was the sound of the? I mean, do you, when that was out, I mean, people still talk about that compilation. Not just me and Ray. Like, uh, there's other people that still are infatuated with that. Was that something that you guys felt when you were releasing that and that? Whole yeah, thing? I'm trying to think if I was uh, if it was right before me. It might have been right before me. But you had to have had yeah. kids call up and say, oh, yeah. "I heard this prom- yeah. promise yeah. ring song." I what's that? What else do they have? Or all that oh, stuff? Totally. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a it was a big seller, and it really sold a lot of the stuff in our mail order. I mean, I think that's what was the big deal. Like, is um, you know, they could they would hear the band on that comp, and then they'd go into our, into Saul Goodman the or the crank mail order, you know, at the time, and later called Saul Goodman and be able to find those bands, you know, and pick up their, their full length, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, really it did. It helped tremendously like, help people. And, and I still pick up, you know, any sort of like samplers and comps anytime I can just to check stuff out. And I think digitally, like labels are doing a lot of like digital samplers now. Too. Like on Amazon, you can download three label samplers, you know, from any of the labels, merge anyone. Um, and it's amazing. I do it all the time just to check out anything I can, like for sure. Well, that's kind but of funny. Now, with digital, it's a lot easier. I think it's a lot easier. Well, we well we we can we have another digital undertaking that we need to take is get some of this stuff on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yep, you and I have been talking about that. <laughs> we got to get that done. Um, uh, I guess, you know, was there anything else kind of about the, you know, crank days? And I mean, it, for me personally, it was one of the most important labels that I listened to early on that helped sort of guide and it was honest and it was, the music was serious. There was a meaning to it. It had focus. It it was all those kind of things that I was looking for at the time. And, you know, I listened to some of the records um, and they sound just as new as they did. I mean, the knapsack stuff um, is amazing. Um, fireside stuff for me. So, I just um, is there any uh, kind of thoughts that, that you had, sort of, as you kind of transitioned out? Was there any sort of things that kind of jumped at you? Yeah, I mean, I think it was mostly about like one of the things I was learning when I was there was just. Um, I mean, number one, you know, how hard it is to run an indie label because it, it really was, like, hard. And this was in the beginning of the, of downloads of Napster. Like, Napster came out in, like, 2001, I think, or something like that. So, um, maybe, wait, maybe earlier. I don't know. But you're you're starting to get into that whole thing. Um, so, number one, I saw that, it, you know, it's a business. It's definitely like Jeff was running it as a business. You know, it had major label background, and, you know, he knew that, like, you have to run a business you know, to make it run. Um, but at the same time, I saw that it's about the artists and it's, it's a small scene and, you know, any, like, if, you, if you're not treating your artists, like, you know, or if they feel like they're getting screwed somehow, then it's just going to snowball and it's going to backfire on you, I think. Um, so I, I, I just learned that it's about, like, trying to just 
be cool with all the artists and make them feel like we're in this together. Like, you know, like we're in this struggle together and it's not them versus record label. Mm-hmm. And because it's just too small, like everything, you know, the whole scene's small and like what we're doing is small. We're not selling a million records, you know, so it's like, you know, on some level, we just got to have fun with it because, you know, one's going to make a killing off this. Although everyone was, you know, we, you know, everyone wanted to, that's for sure. They would rather do that than, you know, work at a pizza joint, like for sure. Um, and, you know, a lot of them had to do both, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, I mean, I think that's some of the stuff I kind of took with me was like, you just have to be cool with the band. Like, um, and not not that, you know, not that Crank wasn't cool to the bands, but I think that that was one of the things that was at the top of my list, like a highlight of it is like these bands need to feel like they're in, you know, you're there with them um, because that's all you have. You don't have a lot of money to give them. So, well, there, um, there's there, on that, on that point, there's obviously so many labels because it's, I, I'm thinking of a random record label, this label called Conquer the World Records. Um, they put out like the very first voice that's fire EP. Um, and it was just like one of those things where that label didn't have any idea of what they were doing when it came to like exactly what you're saying, taking care of the bands. And then, you know, like three or four years after the label had kind of, you know, put out a few records, they had the reputation where it's like, yo, don't work with them because, you know, they'll either screw you. They won't give you the copies of the records that you need and that type of stuff. And it was, a lot of it was just to say that the person who ran Conquered the World Records was like some evil shyster, but he, he, no one was prepared for what would happen to these bedroom operations in like the you know mid to late nineties, where it's just like, hey, it started off as a little mail order thing that I could handle from you know ten pieces of mail a week. To all of a sudden, like, oh my god, like I've got like three of my friends helping out. And I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, it just gets so, so terrifying pretty quickly. So true. Like, I mean, and now it's been one of my pet peeves. Like throughout indie rock it's like if you know because i mean the first experience you'll you know bad experience i think anyone would have with the you know the label in the indie scene or whatever is buying a mail order record and not getting it and you're just like what the fuck like come on people like i just gave you 10 bucks like how can you not send me that record so you know so in in that that times you know a million like when you're dealing with a band and so my pet peeve has always been like the bedroom labels that they're kids and they think it's cool and it is cool. It's definitely fun. But in the end, you know, you have to treat this somewhat like a business because that band is relying on you. You know, they just gave you their recording to sell. And if you're not giving them something back, you know, for that, then, you know, and treating them like, you know, this is a business, but still be cool to them. You know, then I don't know. That's been my thing for sure. Are just kind of indie labels that don't, know their shit <laughs> just don't do it right um and and you know in not to talk, talk bad about crank it, crank i think i i learned that you do have to you know kind of on some level treat it like a business and make sure that you know you're you're accounting and doing stuff like that so um so it was good to be at crank because jeff was more like a businessman so i saw you know i had to treat it more like a business and but at the same time i was always about like you know, making sure like making sure you treat it like a business and get your shit done. And I think the fans appreciate that in the end. So, I mean, the transition to Better Looking Records. Um, uh, so I, I became friends with a lot of the bands, like Mineral, um, the Cursive Guys, um, stuff like that. And um, my my partner in Better Looking Records, Dave Brown, he was doing 
a fanzine called Muddle. Great, great York. fanzine. I know, it was amazing, like super cool. And, you know, just uh, we would deal with each other all the time, you know, um, me being a crank and him doing Muddle. Like, and he, I think he did an interview of Cranky came through and was interviewing different labels and we got to know each other and then he was moving to San Diego. Um, and um, so Crank was kind of like, going through a transition and not doing so well. So, um, so I pretty much, I was laid off from crank, um, which is, you know, whatever it's, it's totally cool. Um, because it's struggled to it. Um, and I, I, uh, got together with Dave Brown and we're like, Hey, we should just do kind of one-off things. Like we know some bands, you know, we're friends with these guys. We should, you know, just do kind of like our idea was to do a one-off with, people that we knew so i think the first thing was a glory record vinyl um crank was putting out um the ep and so um so i i did a deal with jeff where we would do the vinyl for it so that was blr number one actually the first thing i ever did was a seven inch just on my own on i called it market participant records just because i wanted to try it like i wanted to do a seven inch all by myself and you know do a deal with the band and you know just go through that whole process. So, uh, so Dave Brown and I were we got together and we were going to do one-off like releases, basically um, with bands that we we're friends with. And so I knew a lot of bands being from Crank and new bands from just doing his fanzine. So we did um, our first thing was the Gloria record uh, vinyl. A Crank was doing the Gloria record EP, and so we did a colored vinyl. Like, and I think we did like. Uh, that scene, I think, was white, and then the next one was red, um, something like that. Um, so we were doing that, and the first release that I ever did, I just by myself, and that was when I was at Crank. I did a 7-inch with Sunday's Dust, um, and that was just kind of to do it on my own and go through the process of you know, talking to manufacturers and figuring out distribution and like all that stuff. Um, so I did that 7-inch, and then we did the... Um, we started doing Glory Record, and then Holiday Matinee did a compilation. Uh, that was the PR company that Dave Brown was starting. And then number three was um, The Jealous Town. And uh, that was uh, Pedro from Sunday's Best, who I was really good friends with. And he was starting a band with Blair from Knapsack, and they were calling it The Jealous Town. And so we decided to, we, I was talking with them, and we are like, you know, hey, we got our shit together, and we'll treat you right, and, you know, we just want to do an EP with you, you know, and we'll help you get your name out there and get you guys signed and, you know, type thing. So, you know, let's have fun with it. So we did that and um, and it was just amazing. I mean, that EP was, was just killer. That, um, that EP is still requested every month on the emo night that we do first Thursdays in New York at Idle Hands. It, it, it's on all these like mixtapes I've made. I mean, that record... That must have been really awesome to kind of, I don't know if you were in the studio or when you first got that master, it must have been pretty amazing to kind of hear all those songs back to back to back. Oh yeah, definitely. It was amazing. Like Mark Trambino mixed, and I remember being in the mixing session with them and just going, what the hell? <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. What I mean, the it? hooks. Yeah. I mean, totally. Like, and it's, it's awesome because it was an extension of Knapsack. It was like, you know, but it was, it was definitely something different though too and but blair just you know it blair can't write bad songs like he just 
You know, case in with, point, the new one that just released what last week? Uh, the new song, yeah, yeah, I know. I know, it's amazing, like absolutely amazing. And that's what I love about those guys. It's like they don't, they don't try to go off on a, a tangent. You know, they don't decide, oh, we're more country now, or we're more like rip hoppy now. They're just like, guess what? This is what we play, and we're gonna play good songs. You know, and that's it. Like it's their sound. Like they don't try. You know. Ten years later, they're not trying to change their sound mm-hmm. like, at all, you know. Or you know, fifty years later for Blair, because it's still you can hear you know knapsack in it, like for sure. So that's what I just love about them. You know what you're gonna get when you listen to Jello Sound, and just you know, lyrically they're deep and the guitars are amazing, and you know, I just think it, and they're a great team. Pedro and Blair are just an amazing team. So we did the EP; it was blowing up like they were just amazing, and they were touring stuff like that. And so they're going to do a full length and they signed with, um, I forget what the label's called, but they're through Universal. Um, so they did a deal with them. And um, and then after, like, before the, I don't even, I forget what it was. I think they started recording or something like that. And that label kind of folded. And so they were labelless. They had to do legal things to get out of their deal, you know, because it, it was kind of through like a major label imprint. Um, but they got out of it, and they're like, you know what? We're just going to do it with you guys, um, you know, better looking records. And we're like, please do. So, um, so we finished recording the full length and put full length, and just had a grand old time um, doing it. But I mean, it was it was huge amount of work, lots of stress because it was just Dave and I doing the label, and you had these guys' lives in your hand, like literally, like you're like this is their career, this is what they want to do. And at the time, I'm doing the label. Um, I'm, like full time, you know, and every bit of my money tied up in label, basically. Like, you, I, you know, I wasn't paying myself a salary or anything. Like, it was just like I need this to take off, and then you know, if things get going, then cool. Because you need all the money to like in the label for everything, marketing, promotion, you know, whatever type thing. So, um, so it was doing really good, um, but it wasn't doing like you know. Like I, you know, it wasn't livable. Like I think is what kind of happened with, like the whole thing. And um, anyways, so uh, we started kind of like scaling down, like after a while. And this was after I don't know. I mean, a bunch of releases, and we were just having a lot of fun with it. But at the same time, it was business and a ton of stress. Um, and so at some point, it was just kind of like, you know, I need to get a day job type thing. Um, and the bands, I think, like at least Gel Sound, I can't kind of were in the same thing. Like they were touring constantly, but they'd come home. And when you're on tour, you're, you know, you come home and you still have to pay rent, you know, and you still have to, like, you know, pay your bills for the next month. And there's not a lot of jobs that are going to let you go out for a month and come back and still have a job type thing. So, um, so I think, you know, people kind of took breaks on it. Um, Anyways, they signed with a uh, militia group after that, and I was kind of winding things down and trying to make things easier and just kind of make things kind of flow a little bit easier as far as, like, like you constantly put in money, like, to the label, and at some point, like, you have to not put it in and let it come back, and at the same time, I was starting, I needed to pay the band's royalties, too. So anytime we get a distributor check, you have to, like, make sure you're setting enough aside to pay the band's their royalties, so... Um, so we kind of started slowing it down and just making sure the cash that came back, we had enough to pay royalties and make sure the bands are taken care of type thing. 
So they, see, anyway, they, see, see, Paul, I'm going to interrupt you. That's your first mistake. You try to take care of the bands. Just let them fend for themselves. You do, you do what you can. Label. Yeah, you just you 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 made one huge error. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know that was a problem. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. I have a friend in the music industry that's always like, you know, good karma comes back to you type thing. So. Um, but you know, we we kept on putting like we've definitely put out stuff, and we've stayed friends with all these bands, and um, you know, and I paid thousands of dollars in royalty to the bands, which I totally feel good about type thing. So um, and now we're just trying to keep it simple. But anyways, they signed with Militia Group, um, and and I you know I don't know things are kind of like up in the air with that, but um, they're still signed to them. And they, uh, Militia Group has a I think they. The owner has like a label called uh, Music is Subjective, and so he'll be, from what I understand, they'll be putting it out. Um, and I was all for it. I'm like, please, guys, like I would love a label with real money to take the jealous down and blow them up, you know, and just, you know, get them going. And because I still had, you know, the first two records, and so we could we would just continue to pay royalties and mm-hmm. you know stuff would sell. So that's what I've been waiting for for the past eight years. You know, for that. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, I mean, they've been working on it nonstop. Like you know, Blair took some time off, I think, and came back to it. Pedro has been 100, percent you know, like into J Sound forever now. And um, but they they have it fully done. They've been um, they're friends with um, Nate from Sunny Day Real Estate and Foo Fighters, who's been helping them out tremendously and getting. He them- actually, um, when I saw the tour um, uh, with them on it. Um, he, it was, I mean, he was amped. I, I told the story in the last podcast, but I got to hang with Sunny Day after and actually brought up, you know, Jealous Sound and like, you know, Nate's like all about them. And I just thought that was, that's, this is what this is. This is how good that is. They, it's like, they were in good bands. They liked these bands. It's just, it wasn't any like animosity. It was like, let's help each other out. It really is. I know it totally is. And and I, I was trying to, and I kind of want to be like that too. Like, especially like when the bands go to different labels or whatever, I never hold any grudges. I'm like, please, guys, you know, like go do it and let's make this happen. And, you know, I'll help you out as much as I can and I'll keep paying royalties on stuff. And, you know, it's never, ever been like about animosity ever. Like, yeah, you know, I, when, they, when they go on to something else or whatever. Um, yeah, I just, like, I think, you know, this is, I think a lot of people that, either listen to this podcast, go to the website, or just in this genre of music and maybe listen to this five years down the line. I mean, Jealous Sound is that one of those bands, and they're still doing it, and I know everyone is just waiting for this record. I mean, just them playing on that tour, I was pumped um, for them playing with Sunny Day. And then they actually played the next night in Brooklyn at Southpaw, and it was a full set. I mean, it was plenty of kids there, all about my age, um, all had jobs. You know, that was kind of watching it again and and seeing like these hooks in the right hands can get places. Yeah, totally. And it's like I don't know. It's a it's such a good time too. It's like it you know it was never I think a bad time, but you know um, I don't know. Sometimes bands can be too self conscious, and not that gel sound were, but I, I think back in the day of like emo stuff they a lot of bands got really self-conscious about the name and what they're getting pegged at so they started trying to go up on tangents and trying to change their sound you know and that's not what the fans were into and that's what i've kind of laughed about the jealous time they didn't really care like whatever i'm pegged as emo fine i don't care like you know blair is 
out of his punk, you know, hardcore roots. Like, you know, so he doesn't care. Like, sure, I'm an emo, I don't care, whatever. Like, what? this is just the music I'm good at, so I'm going to play it. Do you have any insight on that? I mean, I was from the fan side, the radio station side, you know, labels, but I wasn't really... The, that feeling that you said that it was the stigma from the first moment, you mean your girlfriend telling you at the time you didn't want yeah. to see that band because it was yeah. emo. Do you have any sort of insight on, I mean, I, I always like to grasp at that sort of meaning and how much it meant to people. And it's sort of these bands, I always kind of remember some Get Up Kids shows where kids would yell out stuff on 4-Minute Mile and Matt would kind of laugh and not want to do it. And now... You know, they no 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 offense to those guys, but they come back, they do the tour, they play those songs, totally. they get the biggest response. It's like, what was it in their head at that moment? There, I think it, you brought it up where they wanted to just change their sound because they didn't want to be called that. Yeah, right. I don't know. I don't know what it was, and I was. I think you know, I was, I was close to Glory Record Mineral guys, and um, you know, and I think they, you know, they might have went through that a little bit too. And but I don't know, you know, I think I don't even know because it seems like it's a worse word now than it was back then. Because I think it's a very, then, very bad word. That's why yeah, I did the site. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Right. Back then at least it was, you know, it referenced like, you know, good music and, and not that you know, any of the bands that are, you know, so called emo now are that bad, but um I don't know. You know, I think they were very self conscious about it. Um but now I think that a lot of them are just, they don't even care. Like, that was the music that they played, and, you know, they, and they look, I mean, I think looking back, you're just like, maybe in the time, you're kind of like too subconscious about it, but now looking back, you're like, you know, if you get up kids for a minute mile, those guys are, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't know them at all, but I'm sure they're just like, you know what, that was good songs. Like, I don't care what it's tagged at, you know, as, yeah. like, good song. The, the same he, Mineral Glory record, you know. And the Glory Record, I think they, you know, still, even Glory Record was kind of an emo thing. Like, they didn't try to, you know, go off on any tangents you know, at all. They were just kind of trying to bring in more Britpop, like, I think, more shoegazy stuff. Which is, I thought, doing. shoegazing, there was a bunch of those bands that I think, you know, fans of that genre kind of fell into shoegazer stuff, too. And instrumental, which kind of brings up sort of, like, kids were way into tristeza like i loved album leaf obviously from that and it's like it kind of went that way too i yeah, feel like um, yeah yeah and so i don't know it's just tags it's just a way to kind of you know explain like you know tag a certain scene and you know my wife and i now like are totally like make fun of you know kids that say emo and we're always like you know real emo and you know, i'll give you a mixtape of like what real is. yeah but in the end, I don't really care. Like, you know, it's cool. And I love that kids are into whatever, quote unquote, emo. You know, maybe they'll go back and get into the stuff. And maybe they won't. Like, you know, part of me is kind of like, I go back to some of these bands and I'm like, you know, I don't know if that's going to hold up in time. Some of it does, but some of it definitely doesn't. Some of it is like, you just kind of had to be there, you know? Yes. And, and yes. that's it. You know, it's like, I don't know if like, you know, my son is going to really... These bands go, yeah, that was amazing. You know, Great job, Dad. Feel, <laughs> you might just be like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's kind of crap. You know? Yeah. Some of them couldn't sing, and some of them are really bad recorders, you know, like recordings. And you're just like, you just kind of had to be there. Yeah. Well, the I was at a, a maritime show, 
and all these couple, this one younger, ki- the reason I bring it up is this one younger kid was yelling Promise Ring songs. Okay. And I was getting offended. And I would, didn't say anything, didn't, didn't do anything. I just watched the show. Maritime ended up playing for like an hour and 45 minutes. Great show. Talked to Davey after, and I asked him, I said, were you annoyed by the kid yelling that out? And I was right. expecting him to say, yeah, but whatever. You know, we made jokes. But he said, which I think is partly why this is all coming out is that he said, you know what? It's okay. That kid probably never saw promise ring. He yeah. knows about maritime. He cares. He came to the show. He bought stuff and he's like, I don't, he's like, I don't care. He's like, I just loved that. I'm still like, people still come out and see us play. And cool. I loved that answer and I didn't expect it. And I loved it because I kind of reiterate. I was like, yes, please keep making music. That's and yeah. so it was cool that that kid was, he never saw him, but was yelling out the songs, and that was his like moment. That's so true. I think, because, yeah. Go ahead. I think uh, I was just saying. I think it's a matter also of perspective because it's like, you know, as as people go through. Because I think a lot of the backlash that you see with this music scene in particular is the fact that people felt that it was juvenile. You know, it's like you the <laughs> the stereotypical like path of a kid is you know whatever you get into punk maybe hardcore or whatever, you know, you get into, you know, softer music such as email, and then obviously you make the transition to, you know, college slash indie rock because you your music taste is matured and you don't listen to kid shit anymore. Um, and so it's like, you know, that, that's kind of the, what I always saw as people being like, you know, looking down upon it or, you know, stigmatizing it or giving it a bad name. But then it's like, obviously, like people that are older, such as obviously on the street talking, where it's like, you know, we have perspective now. We can look at it and be like, well, you know, music is just music. And like, this is very good music. And I can still enjoy this as much as I can enjoy a band that comes out in 2011. And it's like, when you're so entrenched in that, you don't have perspective. And you're just like, oh, fuck that. I didn't listen to Strife three years ago. And it's like, mineral, that's, that's pussy shit. And it's like, oh, yeah. you, don't, you, you don't have that perspective. It's so true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it definitely is perspective. And it's like, I don't know. I, I just think there's always been scenes, like even from the 60s on, you know. And I think everyone that's been in one of those scenes thought their scene was, you know, the shit, you know, at the time. And I think it's generation to generation to generation, you know, it's all, you know, it has their own thing and, you know, sees it, you know. And some of it lasts, you know, some of the music from generations kind of lasts and kids are into it, you know, afterwards. Um, I don't know. But I think there's I, something about this scene that will stay. I mean, it did blow up. It did get on Top 40 Radio. It, it's in the nomenclature of so many people. Right. And whenever someone looks into it, they either go to that, what is emo? Whatever, I think Forfa, whatever, dot .com, or whatever that site was that was like definition of emo. Um, you know, they start looking at some of the, you know, if they talk to, if there's a Jeff from Thursday interview, he's going to mention a band um, or, oh, wait, they were in hardcore bands before they were in that, and then they kind of go that way. It, it all kind of leads back to these bands, and I think that will be one of the lasting things, I, 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 I believe. Totally. And I think what was cool about it is, like, the emo stuff kind of brought in hardcore kids and the indie rock kids and the rip-pop kids, you know, type thing. It's like, you know, because... I came at it from more the indie rock, you know, punk rock side, and I, I didn't wasn't into hardcore at all until I started getting into emo, and then I realized like, 
a lot of this stuff, the roots of a lot of this stuff coming from hardcore band, you know, and I was like, wow, that's cool. Um, and what was, what I liked about it is it seemed like, it seemed like there wasn't, I mean, although maybe back then there was kind of a style, but I mean, you know, mineral was like jeans and t-shirt, you know, and cursive would play in shorts, you know, type thing. And I just loved that there wasn't that big of a thing about the style. Well, was, yeah. I mean, the you know, cursive the guys was, showed up in a minivan when I saw them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Totally. Exactly. I remember that. Yeah. Literally, they played, they played brownies in a. They came up in a minivan. Yeah. And it was by... awesome. I mean, it was <laughs> it was ridiculous, but it was like I was like, "What? See, this that is." That... I was. Yeah. I always laugh about that scene. It totally. My, my favorite thing about like speaking about style. Um, one of my favorite things, and something that I actually tried to rip off and do with my band, but the rest of the guys, the other four guys in my band wouldn't get on board with it, uh, is Elliot. Elliot, when they released U.S. songs, um, they they all wore like white shirts, like white collared shirts, black socks, and like a black tie, um, and they did that for pretty much the entire record cycle. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to create like a blank canvas, because obviously, anytime you see a band loading their equipment. I mean, this is obviously when bands didn't have text. <laughs> so uh, you had the, you had them, like, you know, loading their gear and stuff. And, of course, if they, you see them wearing a band shirt, you automatically assume that they sound like this or whatever. But they just really wanted to make sure where it's like, okay, you have no idea what we sound like if you aren't familiar with us beforehand. And then they would obviously play. And, the, you know, that was when they had Jay, the guitarist, and he would be going ape shit. And it was like, you know, it looked like he was playing in, you know, a ridiculous hardcore band versus, you know, this sort of emotionally driven rock. And so I just loved, I loved that juxtaposition of like, hey, this is how we look and like kind of, you know, bucking the trend of the style and stuff like that. And yeah, I just wish, I wish it caught on in certain ways. Oh, that's exactly right. I remember, yeah, being at like, um, I mean, for lack of a better word, screamo show, and it was, you know, it, it was some like, you know, San, or, uh, San Fernando Valley band playing, and, um, you know, they're just normal, like, suburban, you know, kids, and you didn't need, you know, you didn't need to be punk rock or, you know, dress a certain way or anything, and they played, it was just so intense, like, rolling on the floor, screaming, I was like, that is amazing, you know, it, it was not about... Whatever it wasn't about so much the style, just the intensity, and and I just loved it. But then there was also style. A lot of the San Diego bands, like you know, Heroin and Antioch Arrow and stuff like that, and or Nation Ulysses. That's not necessarily emo, but there was definitely like a certain style to that stuff, which was cool too. Like I loved like their style, what they brought. Right. Like they and clearly it's like they had an agenda, you know, and it's like. You know, people could obviously make arguments of bands that are existing today, you know, that you see in alternative press, like, you know, using a random band like Black Metal Brides, where it's like, you know, their their whole thing is that, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I can't even really describe their look if you haven't seen it, but uh, right. it's it, it's pretty, uh, it, it's pretty impressive to say the least. Um, so, of course, like, you could argue that that band had an agenda, such as a way, like a band like, you know, Swing Kids has an agenda, but... Right. Um, obviously, they're on two completely different levels, and their agendas are probably completely uh, different. Whereas, you know, Swing Kids is like, you know, we're not going to make millions. Whereas, Black Belt Brides is like, yo, we are going to make millions. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Exactly. 
Right, right. And they're bringing like a certain, like they, they're in front of aesthetic and that was it. Like, and right, and they didn't care. Like, they were making an art statement, you know, more than they were like trying to blow up, you know, type of thing, which, which is awesome, like in itself. I think that's totally true. The, I mean, the one of the bands that, um, uh, that I think same thing was Engine Down was all about the sort of minimalistic, having lights, doing that sort of whole vision in sort of the screamo when they were actually kind of a screamo band <laughs> early on. Um, and then I know Refused, I mean, all black, <laughs> political yeah. agenda, completely like, damn the man. And, um, I love that. I know, absolutely. Like, so, and they, yeah, they got the aesthetic down perfect. <laughs> like, I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, that was yeah, that was definitely it. Um, well, you know, I mean, Paul, is there stuff that you know you mentioned? You know, I I think it, uh, I think the listener would love, obviously, you being involved in this scene and and working it to I consider some of the best labels from this era. Is there stuff that maybe we have missed, or I, you know, we love to play some of those tunes, or is there stuff that kind of stuck out for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, and maybe I'll just do like a bunch of stuff, and we can just you can like play it at the end. Like it'll be just a big one. Totally. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I was gonna play um, strictly ballroom LA band and um, like Jimmy T, who um, went on to do Postal Service and Pentel. That was his like quote unquote emo band at the time. With um, and it was a bunch of guys from KXLU, like um, you know, a guy that was in Beach with Sparks and. Um, uh, Paul Larson that does a ton of music in LA like I mean he's been in so many bands in LA like it's amazing um, that was like their band at the time um, and it was just great stuff like it was their take on kind of the emo thing um, and kind of arty um, but just awesome just amazing stuff they did one record and that was it like that was I think they have a seven inch too but oh, that was awesome. it. so I was, and I was going to play some of the classics too like Mineral and a couple of um, the BLR stuff, but I mean BLR. Like, I mean, I came from all you know, Crank and you know all that, and that whole scene was my thing, like for sure. But I think with BLR, I was trying to. I mean, even though I was bagging on bands who like you know whatever tried to change the thing, but I was not that I wasn't trying to be stigmatized. I was just kind of with BLR. I was playing, you know, I was signing stuff that I liked. Like a lot of in the beginning, we were signing a lot of bands that we already knew. And we and we were really like a business in the business sense. We were trying to sign stuff that was going to sell. You know, um, like we couldn't take big risks. It was our own money. We put in credit cards and cash, and that's how we started it. Wow. So, um, so we were, pay, you know, so that's why like we were signing things that you know we knew at least would sell something. You know, the Jealous Sound, Cursive, Gloria Record, um, uh, you know, stuff like that. The Good Life. Um, you know, Tim from Chris's solo project. Like, we're so lucky to have put out that first record. It's amazing. I think a band we haven't mentioned that needs, I mean, it's an hour to itself. I mean, No Knife. Um, oh. that, that that No Knife record you, you guys put out is, <laughs> Right for Romance, is an amazing record. And we say amazing a lot, but No Knife is, <laughs> I think, one of those just unheralded bands and records that is influencing people i don't think if they're even realizing it yeah oh definitely i know and i don't think they are either and i loved i mean i remember when that record came out and i think it was stripes that um 
like was putting out a record around that time and their last photo one of the guys was wearing a no knife riot from romance t-shirt and i was just like you are the coolest guy in the world we can't even there's no way we can get the press that you're now giving us you know like we can't hire big press people or anything like that and just and that's what it was about just kind of word of mouth and he was representing like for sure like so um but yeah, I mean, that's just an amazing record. And, you know, the guys had done three records um, on Time Bomb. And I think they're kind of at the end of things. But um, their producer was kind of like, just do one more record, please. And um, and they did. And, you know, and we were friends with them. Dave was in San Diego and so knew all the guys. And we had a thing going. So um, so we were able to put that out. And the guys are the nicest guys in the world. And that's what we've always looked for. It's just kind of like, you know, easy easy people to deal with and you know people that are going to work hard and just amazing songwriters it's really what it came down to and so we would put out other stuff too like you know track star like san francisco like indie rock band like um you know one of the guys was an eiler set and some just classic like indie pop band um we did ides of space which was australian band i don't even know how i found out about them but i found an ep by them and it was you know i love shoegazy stuff like ride and my bloody valentine and they were just like indie rock shoegaze, like perfect for me. And so we put out a full length and I like spent all my money to get them over here to tour and, you know, beg the Goya record to take them out. So it was a Goya record, her space holiday, I just space tour. And I went on that tour because I had to drive them, you know, the van stuff because they're from Australia. And um, so there's different stuff. So we, we kind of like, we were all, kind of all over the place, but it still all made sense. When I looked at the catalog, I'm like, this all makes sense. Like, it, you know, anyone who's into Cursive will like I the Space, or anyone who's into J-Town, you know, will at least listen to Trackstar and appreciate it, you know, or Makila Dora or any of the, you know, and obviously Tristeza, you know, the psychedelic, like, instrumental stuff. Like, they totally came from the scene, the San Diego hardcore scene, and, you know, just a lot of stuff just kind of makes sense. Yeah. So we tried not to, like, kind of tag ourselves either. But not be too self-conscious about it. Too. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it did make that transition. I, I think it really kind of it was good records. It, it it came from a good place, and it all sort of connected. And that's why I think. I mean, it was I was looking at these bands and looking at how they all connect. And yes, I was obsessed and bought every record or got one in the mail from you as we <laughs> as they were released. Right. But they they it, they did all make sense. I mean, Boilermaker, that that yeah. record. It, I mean. I know we say this all the time on the show, but for the people that haven't heard these records, search it on Spotify, email me, I will help you find these records to just sort of, I mean, I think Boilermaker, that isn't like unheralded record in itself. Oh man, yeah, totally, yeah. And the singer a few years ago passed away from um, from skin cancer. I did not know that. Yeah, totally, Taron Durfee, and he's just a legend, he's a legend in San Diego, and um, I'm going to put a, like a, I want to find a way to put it. I think I'm just going to put it up on the BLR site, just a download of a song that um, Slow Dance Records, like a good friend of mine, put out this comp. And there's a No Knife song on there that um, that No Knife and Taryn from Boilermaker did together. And it's a killer song. Like, it just, you know, you're just like, whoa, this is deep. Um, just knowing everything around around it. But it's a great song. So I was going to put that up on the PLR site under No Knife just as a free download. Let me know. Um, I will link that to Washed Up Emo and send it oh, out. Cool. And, um, oh, I think that'll be a huge... That'll be such a great thing for people to hear. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. And then, I mean, we went off on, you know, and did like UK bands like Gold Rush and 
mm-hmm. Electric Soft Parade. Like, I can't even believe you put on an Electric Soft Parade record. Like, they were, <laughs> you know, they were, like, you know, huge in the UK. I remember when their first record came out and people, you know, talking about it here, and it was never really released here in the U.S. And, you know, three records down the line, like, we're able to put it out in the U.S. And the coolest guys ever. And it just baffles me when I look back on some of this stuff. I'm like, how did I, who, who am I to have worked with these guys? And how did they trust me to put out this stuff? Because you know? you're a good dude. <laughs> so, but, but also, I mean, I think Dave and I just kind of brought this sense of, like, we're, we just want to put our heads down and work hard. Like, that's it. Yeah. You know, and we'll treat you right type thing. And, you know, it's not always going to work out. And, you know, we're realistic. And you guys are realistic. And things happen. But, you know, we're definitely going to do our best. And I think that's all they cared about in the end is, like, Let's do our best, and I'm still in touch with any of them. You know, I still I do accounting every month. I get my digital statement and input into QuickBooks books and keep an accounting of like every penny, literally pennies now wow. from digital that come in, and it's just. But I still, you know, I, I have ten years worth of records in my QuickBooks, so I have to better back it up. But. Um, but that's, I don't know. That's, well, that's, that's I mean, just story. just like your friend in the music industry said, <laughs> karma does come around. If it's someone still at a label that is sort of, you know, not as active anymore and still doing the royalties and paying out the bands, there's, <laughs> I think I, I think we both know the answer. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think cool. that's awesome. Um, right. We're at a point where we're kind of like, in a point because it's like we don't spend a lot of money on stuff because we're not really signing new stuff. Um, so we don't have huge investments, so we're able to take that money, put it in the label, and pay out royalties and make sure everyone is, you know, up to date and cool with everything. But then we're starting, like, Tristeza, and there's a New York band, Ravens and Chimes, that um, we still, like, deal with. And so, like, Tristeza's last record, they recorded it themselves, and we helped distribute it for them, and we did it with them, and we kind of helped, uh, you know, a little bit of marketing and stuff like that, and really get it up everywhere digitally. And so we're kind of like a little bit more on that side of things where we help them out, but we can't, you know, we can't spend a ton of money on investing in the band. Just also because I have a day job, like, and so I'm, I feel like I'm in a position to really like give it 150%, you know, the stuff that they deserve. Yeah. I would rather, you know, be on a label that's like full force and it has people, you know, constantly out there talking to people. Um, But, but if they want to do something real simple and, you know, and it makes sense, you know, it's friends of ours, like Ravens and Chimes and, you know, Tristeza, um, then, you know, then we do kind of like simple things like that. But, um, but even then, even when I say it's simple, it's still a lot of work. <laughs> no, I bet. No, the the transition, I mean, still in the game, still doing it. I think that's, I think that's a testament to, to all that as well. And um, still, still working at a label and. <laughs> right. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I had a few random questions for you, Paul, and this kind of just sure. like runs runs the gamut. Um, one of them, I mean, not to bring it down, but, uh, you know, I always like, obviously we're speaking about a lot of positive things, and I always like to temper it with, you know, what you may have learned. I mean, I know you were talking about, obviously, your accounting and, you know, the ability for you to kind of carry that over. Um, but, you know, what, what do you feel is kind of like, you know, the biggest, whether biggest i guess disappointment you know in your label for whether it was like a better looking whether it was a crank where you guys were like 
all right, this record's going to pop and we're going to do all this stuff. And then, you know, for like one reason or another, it didn't. And you guys were just kind of left being like, what the hell? And maybe not even so much from like a financial perspective, but just kind of a, man, we really wanted this thing to go. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not even like a bad story. I think it's just more of a realistic story. It would be like, um, you know, we put out to them with kindness, like the J-Sound record, and they were touring a ton. Um, and uh, they were on this one tour, and they dropped off of the tour. And, I, you know, and I, I, me personally, I think they're just, uh, it was like, a, they're kind of like, you know, they're having that trouble with the self-conscious thing. I think that they're, they're thinking that the crowd wasn't with them, like it wasn't their sort of crowd. Um, and maybe they're right. They're, you know, they totally could be right. But anyway, at that point, when they dropped off, I was at a point where, um, you know, like I, because I've never like paid myself a salary from BLR, so I was kind of at a point where, you know, if it was too much of a risk, and so I was just kinda like, I got to get a day job. Like I definitely, you know, because at that point, like it, they were dropping off the tour, and so I just saw that as, you know, like a stock, you know, <laughs> like getting killed for a bad call or whatever, you know, from CNBC or whatever, and. So, you know, I, I was just like, I got to get a day job. And so that would be, I think that would be like just a realistic point in like the VLR career. And we kept going after that, you know, we were still putting out records and, um, you know, we were, we did a, like a new distribution deal with um, uh, VA and, and independent label group at that time. And um, so we were still like definitely plugging away and still we signed Electric Soft Parade and Gold Rush after that. But um, but I just remember that. That was a clear, like, point in the BLR time where I was like, I got to, you know, get a day job. Like, um, because this isn't going to support me, you know. And also, I think I needed to take that pressure off myself to get the label to a point where it can, you know, pay my bills. And so that was, I think, a lot of, like, and, you know, a positive note, you know, it kind of, allowed me that I had a day job. I didn't have to now, you know, try to figure out how BLR is going to pay me. It doesn't have to pay me because I have a day job. So, um, so but anyways, I remember that point clearly where I was, they're dropping off the tour. I'm like, I got to get a job, you know, and that's it. (laughs) That's funny where that, that was just kind of like the eye opening experience where it's like, all right, well, you guys did this and I will do that. (laughs) I know. Totally. Right. And and it was, we're still putting the record and everything, you know, everything, you know, kept going. It wasn't, like they, you know, it wasn't a big deal to them that I was in a job, that's for sure. Because, and one thing that I loved about it, and it was such a struggle, like, you know, financially and just working nonstop and you have this stress on you because you have these guys in your hands, but you're in the trenches with them. Like, so as much as when they complain, like they're super poor, I was able to say, I'm super poor too, you know? And so you were really in the trenches with them, you know, um, which I think they appreciated too. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! It's, 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 it's thing to be poor with them. But. Yeah, it's way, it's way more meaningful when you're in it kind of together as opposed to taking a salary from a label. Yeah. Um, on that, and, and then on that, on the flip side of it, like, what you know, what was kind of the most, uh, whether it was like endearing or proudest, kind of the the moment where you were like, I'm really like, you know, I'm really glad that I've you know devoted my life to this because obviously, you know, all of us are for lack of any intelligence you know have been involved in music for longer than we care to admit um but we have those moments that obviously keep pulling us back in where it's just like oh this is why i do what i do um was there like a defining moment that you kind of had with uh you know your your musical career that was like yes this is exactly why yeah i mean yeah i don't think there's one moment i mean it would be a ton like every show like i go to like 
you know, where my bands are playing. And I'm just like, whoa, really? Like, I get to do this? Or, I mean, I don't know. Any anytime I even just look at the website, I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. I can't believe what Dave and I, you know, built together. Like, it's pretty insane. Um, so, you know, it's, I don't think it's one specific time. It's just any time I look at any of the releases and I'm just like, wow, that's crazy. I can't believe I did that. Ray, are you good? I'm good. You've uh, you've lived through this podcast, Paul, and I'm proud of you. <laughs> I know. I love it. It was fun. It was totally fun. Paul, you have also heard Ray's last call-in from, from the road on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> well, it went, it went smoothly besides two hang-ups and your garage band crashing, so it could have been much worse. I think it's because I had too many things open, and I was like doing a quick little research on Makeout Club, and I think Makeout Club crashed garage band. <laughs> I think you, I, I think you might have been uh, downloading some pirated movies as well. No, I don't do that. I do that. I do that on my iPad. <laughs> I'll play the Death Cabs 405 for you, Ray. Nice. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Thank you for listening to the Washed Up Emo podcast. Don't forget to stay in touch via the website, washedupemo.com, and at Washed Up Emo on Twitter. Uh, we have a lot of great guests coming down the line, um, so subscribe, tell your friends, and feel free to send in comments or any suggestions um, for future guests. Uh, we will try to fulfill them. Um, and on behalf of Ray and myself, uh, thank you so much for listening. Washed Up Emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening, and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shuttle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com